Last week, we had an exciting question and answer session with Dr. Ron Rhodes, the founder and director of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries. This week, we invite you to join us once again as we continue to bombard him with tough questions concerning the Bible. Stay tuned. Lamb and Lion Ministries presents Christ in Prophecy, a program that focuses on the fundamentals of Bible prophecy, showing how current events in the news relate to biblical predictions of end-time events and the soon return of Jesus. Now, here's your host, Dr. David Reagan. Greetings in the name of Jesus, our blessed hope, and welcome to Christ in Prophecy. And I am delighted to have back with me again this week as my special guest, Dr. Ron Rhodes, who is the founder and director of Reasoning from the Scriptures Ministries, located in Frisco, Texas. That's a suburb of Dallas. Dr. Rhodes is an expert in the Bible, and one of the things he specializes in is answering tough questions. Welcome back to our program, brother. Thank you. It's good to I be tell with you. you we today. had a lot of fun with you last week. And well, I like having you know uh, bombs dropped on. Well, me we're going like to try that. to really yeah. make you squirm <laughs> yes. this week. Okay. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Hey. <laughs> I'm also glad to have with us uh, our newest staff member, Nathan Jones. Uh, Nathan is our web minister. Now, that's not just a webmaster, folks. He's a web minister. He's on there every day, all day long answering tough questions. So he knows what it is to be on the hot seat, and he does that with people all over the world. I tell you what, uh, last week we ended our program uh, by having uh, asking Dr. Rhodes what were some of the toughest questions he's ever received, and he gave us three questions. And I want to start with those. Nathan, fire them. All right. You ready? <laughs> boom. All right. Boom. He's blown up. Why did God command the Israelites to wipe out a whole nation like the Canaanites? Well, that is a tough question, and uh, there's all kinds of people arguing against Christianity based on questions like that. Uh, the way I'd like to answer it is this. If you have a human being who develops a cancer in the body, uh, your physician's going to want to excise it. He's going to want to remove that cancer. The reason why he wants to remove the cancer, because if you don't remove it, it's going to grow, and it'll grow so that it takes over the entire body and ends up killing the entire body. Well, the Canaanites were very much like a cancerous growth in human society. God does not take pleasure in any human being perishing. I mean, that's the, that's the backdrop here. But the Canaanites refused to repent. They refused to turn back to God, and it, they became like a cancer in society. These are people who would take little babies and stick them on an open flame in worshiping false gods. And there's stuff that I can't even mention on a television show. They, that's so horrible that they did, uh, that they were like a cancer. And I might mention to you that they had a 40-year warning They saw what happened to the Egyptians uh, when God was delivering Israel from Egyptian bondage. They heard about the God of Israel and his miracles. They had 40 years to repent, but they refused to repent. Here's something else to think about. Jeremiah 18 portrays God as saying, If I promise judgment against a nation and that nation repents, I will withhold the judgment that I had promised. But if the nation does not repent, then it will be judged. The Canaanites refused. They were hard-hearted. And so that all of humanity could be saved and not die from this cancerous growth called the Canaanites, the entire nation had to be wiped out. You saw that with Nineveh, right? They repented in Nineveh. They God repented. That's a perfect illustration. Yeah. yeah. You know, I don't think Jonah particularly liked it. But, uh, <laughs> he hated their you know, guts. Yeah. yeah, he, he kind of wanted that judgment to fall. I mean, you have to understand that the Assyrians had a bad rep. Yeah. You know, and the fact is, is that they did repent. And based upon God's promise in uh, Jeremiah 18, God relented and withheld the judgment that he had promised. If the Canaanites had done the same thing, 
God would have relented there too. Okay, Nathan, what was the second tough question? Well, universalism, that's the big topic of the day. Is Jesus the only way to heaven? Well, I've been asked that question a lot of times, and a lot of times people will say that you're being narrow-minded in claiming that Jesus is the only way. I don't think that that's being narrow-minded. You know, there are some things that are narrow that are good. Sometimes there's only one operation that will save your life. That's right. Sometimes there's only one road out of the forest. Uh, There's only one correct formula for some of the popular soft drinks. Uh, I want my wife, Carrie, to be faithful to her one and only for her entire life. That's narrow, but it's good. You know, when I fly from California to Texas, I not only want the pilot to land in Dallas, but I want him to land on the right runway. Yes, that's narrow, but it's good. And so, yes, God's way of salvation is narrow, but it's good. But here's the thing. God's heart is wide open, wide open. He offers this narrow gift to people who are rich or poor. Doesn't matter what your skin color is. Doesn't matter whether you're male or female. God's heart is wide open and offers that same wonderful gift to all people. Now, as for Jesus being the only way, it's ridiculous to say that all religions lead to God. They all have different concepts of every doctrine. If one is true, the others are necessarily What is particularly disconcerting to me is the number of Christian leaders who are now buying into this and talking about different roads to God when Jesus Himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and there's no other way. It's like they're calling Him a liar. Well, a lot of people have assumed that all religions are essentially the same and only superficially different. The truth is that all religions are essentially different and only superficially the same. And it's real important to understand that while all the other religions basically try to take bad men and make them better by ethics, Christianity seeks to take dead men and make them alive. Mm -hmm. You see, we are dead in sin, Mm -hmm. and dead people can't help themselves. They need an external Savior to come in and rescue them. And that's exactly what Jesus has done. And every other religion also emphasizes works as opposed to Christianity that says we're going to be saved by grace through faith. That's right. It's kind of interesting you point that out because Christianity paints man's problem as worse than any other religion. You see, all the other religions say that, well, you've got some ethic problems. You need to do some good works. But Christianity says, listen, even your good works are like righteous rags compared to, to God. You're, you're unholy. You're, you're, you're defiled in just every way. So there's no way that you can uh, work your way to salvation. But you see, even though Christianity paints man's picture real, real bad, we've also got a real, real good solution. Because salvation becomes a gift that is received through faith. Amen. And that gift is based Amen. upon Jesus. Now, mm-hmm. last week, as we ended our program, you identified three of the toughest questions that you're asked. And we've had two of those. I don't remember what the third one was. Do you remember, Nathan? Yes. The third one, you said, is... He always remembers everything. Have you noticed <laughs> well, that? He's a lot younger than us. <laughs> Hey, I'm getting ready. If I get these questions, you know, you can teach me. Um, Okay, as we're all Christians, we all have the Holy Spirit inside us. But for some reason, the same Christians can come up with different interpretations of the same verse. How can that be? Well, Well, that's a a good question. You know, the Holy Spirit does guide us into truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 13 and following talks about that. Uh, The way I look at it is this. You might compare the Holy Spirit to a uh, radio station that sends out a perfect signal. It's a perfect signal that's always the same. It never varies in any way. Um, Christians, however, are like radio receivers. Now, some radios work really good and others don't work so good. Uh, Some radios have bad batteries. Some radios have a busted antenna. Uh, Some radios have a a little bitty speaker. You can hardly even hear it. And, And by analogy, the point that I'm making is that different Christians have different things wrong. You know, some Christians are a little bit too close to the world. 
Uh, some Christians may not have repented of all their sins. Mm -hmm. Some Christians may not read the Bible very right. often. And because of these different levels of problems among Christians, I believe they have different levels of receptivity to that perfect signal I, I, sent I, out by I, the I Holy love Spirit. That. I, I love that illustration. You're a, you're a master at illustration. Just well, remind me of C.S. Lewis. Uh, well, that's you, a compliment. How you wow. illustrate yeah. things. Uh, because I've often made, I didn't, without using the illustration, I just made the point that, hey, uh, it has to be filtered through a fallen mind. Yes. And uh, one of the things that really bothers me is people who think that every thought that comes into their head Ooh. is from the Lord. Yes. And they go around laying prophecies on people and all kinds of guilt trips on people and so forth, when it's being filtered through a fallen mind. Even well, worse, every feeling is from Oh, yeah. Word. Well, it's kind of like using a computer with bad software. <laughs> now, there's going to be some crashes that take place. And so, you got to keep in mind that we're using faulty equipment. <laughs> okay. I admit I've got faulty equipment. I'm glad you guys do, too. <laughs> you know? Okay. Well, in just a moment, we're going to uh, come back and uh, talk ab about uh, why you believe that the Word of God is really from God and not mm. man's search for God and therefore full of myth, legend, and superstition. Okay? Sounds good to me. All right. Okay, Dr. Rhodes, let's pick up where we left off. I said we were going to come back and ask you the question. Uh, how, uh, what about the inerrancy of the Word of God? How do we know that the Bible really is from God as opposed to it being man's search for God and therefore full of myth, legend, and superstition? Well, that's a good question. Uh, I'll tell you what got my attention big time. I didn't become a Christian until I was 18. And what got my attention was biblical prophecy. Uh, <laughs> uh, only oh, God. you're a man after my heart. Well, I'll tell you what. <laughs> I had never heard a Bible prophet. I'd gone to a liberal church yeah. all my life. And uh, as it happened, I was out in Hollywood at the time, and these Christians I ran into uh, started talking to me about Bible prophecy. And I said, <laughs> what's that? And, and they, they showed me like over a hundred prophecies that, that wow. came literally true in the first coming of Christ. You know, like he's going to be born in Bethlehem, yeah. Micah 5.2. Yeah. You know, he's going to be crucified, you know, Zechariah 12.10. For our sins, Isaiah 53. I mean, on and on, all these prophecies came literally true. And then they talked to me about prophecies of the second coming. And how things are starting to line up in our own day that, that uh, are laying the foundation for the fulfillment of those verses. And that led me to believe this, this Bible that I've just been ignoring for the first 18 years of my life truly must be the Word of God because only God can declare the end from the beginning. Amen. You know, and so I became a Christian out of that. And we're not hmm. talking about general prophecies that are, no, no. are vague, like Nostradamus stuff that uh, you could interpret to mean anything. We're talking about specific prophecies. Very specific stuff. And a lot of the stuff could not be controlled, for example, by Jesus. Yeah. For example, Jesus could not uh, pick his birthplace. You know, uh, you know, Micah 5 is very clear that he would be born in Bethlehem. And when you look at all of those prophecies, over 100 prophecies converging on a single person, mm -hmm. what are the odds? What are the odds of one person fulfilling well over 100 prophecies from the Old Testament? Uh, you know, the, the statisticians tell us it's astronomical. Right. And it's not only just prophecies about the Messiah. The Bible is full of prophecies about other individuals, yes. about towns, about cities, about nations that all came true, that have already been fulfilled. And something I didn't know, I mean, I had no concept that so much of the Bible was prophecy. <laughs> as far as I knew, prophecy might just have been a little minor thing in the Bible. But prophecy virtually permeates this book from Genesis to Revelation. And I think that, that, I think that the whole reason why God 
put prophecy in the Bible is because there's a lot of uh, false prophets and false apostles claiming to speak for God. But see, they cannot tell the future from the beginning like the true prophets and apostles. You love illustrations. I heard a man speaking one time on the Bible and he opened up to questions and somebody said, well, what would you say if you could only give one proof? What would you say is the greatest proof that the Bible really is the Word of God? He said, the yellow pages of the phone book. And they said, what do you mean? He said, just go to the yellow pages of the phone book. Look in there and see what are the names of the lawyers? What are the names of the CPAs? What are the names of the department stores? They're all Jewish names. Proof positive the Bible is the Word of God because God said, I'm going to disperse the Jews all over the world and I am going to preserve them. And He has done it. Wow. Well, you know, it, it's also amazing that, uh, you know, talking about the, the Jews, uh, Israel coming back as a nation in, in 1948 and Jews streaming back ever since there. I mean, who would have thought? I know. I know. You know and, and if you had lived in the 1800s, I mean, there were Christians writing prophecy books in the 1800s talking about uh, the it's rebirth of Israel. Yeah. It's going to happen. And a lot, of, lot, a lot of naysayers saying, no way. They laughed at him. Okay, they laughed Nathan, at him. you're biting at the bit. What oh, is it? Well, I'm looking again in one of your many books. You've got, <laughs> oh. What did Jesus mean? Yes. Making sense of the difficult sayings of Jesus. All right, what did Jesus say that was so difficult? Well, one would be, uh, did Jesus advocate <clears throat> hating mother, father, spouse, and children? Mm. You know, Jesus said, if you come to me and you do not hate your mother, your father, your spouse, and your children, you cannot be, be my disciple. That is that's a hard saying when that's you think about it. That's a hard saying. Yeah, so, you know, it. what you have to do is look at the context, and what we have to do is to understand that there are other verses that clear things up for us. For example, Jesus uh, would never break one of the Ten Commandments, mm -hmm. one of which is honor your mother That's and your right. father. Uh, as well, Jesus taught elsewhere we're supposed to love even our enemies. So what does Jesus mean when he says that if you don't hate your mother and your father and your children and your spouse? Well, uh, among the ancient Jews, the word for hate, according to ancient uh, rabbinical writings, could mean to love less, oh. to love less. Jesus was saying, unless you uh, love your spouse and your parents and your children less than me, you cannot be my disciples. Mm -hmm. Now, the parallel verse in Matthew says that if you love your mother or your father more than me, then you yeah, are not worthy you know. yes. of me. Yes. So the key thing is to interpret words according to their proper context okay. and their intended Give meaning. Give us another example of a puzzling statement of Jesus. Well, um, I think of one example in the New Testament where Jesus was talking to a man uh, to whom he was calling to enter into Christian service. And the man said, well, let me bury my father mm -hmm. first. And then Jesus says, let the dead bury the dead. Whoa, I mean, what's that about? <laughs> let the dead bury yeah. the dead. Does that mean that the dead are going to come up out of the grave and bury somebody else? That's dead? I mean, how does that work? Well, apparently, you know, as you look at the context, everything gets a little bit more clear. Apparently, this man was the only Christian in the family. And uh, this man, now that he'd become a Christian, was being invited into missionary work with Jesus. So Jesus tells him, let the spiritually dead bury the physical dead. Let the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. Uh, a number of other scholars have pointed out that uh, in this case, it may well be that the father wasn't even dead yet. Oh. So the man might have been giving an excuse. You know, let, let me wait a couple of years till my father yeah, dies yeah. and I'll bury him and then I'll serve you. Let me tell you one that uh, people are always uh, throwing at me, and that ha has to do with the, I think it's the Phoenician woman. You know the one I'm talking about where, where uh, Jesus said, I've come to the Jews and not to the Gentiles. And she yes. said, well, even uh, the even dogs, dogs get the crumbs off the table. Uh, and people say, man, this is supposed to be a, a man of love, and he speaks like this? Well, you know, you have to, I, I, 
I, I looked at that verse, and to me, what's going on is an illustration of the sense of humor that Jesus probably had. You know, the ancient Jews did have this idea that the Gentiles were like dogs, right. mm. and that you know you're not supposed to throw food to the dogs; you're supposed to give it to the children. So I can imagine Jesus having a little twinkle in his eye when he said to the woman, don't you know that I'm not supposed to give uh, the, the dogs this? And then uh, Jesus goes on to tell the woman that your faith is great right. and your, right. your request has been granted. So it's really kind of uh, uh, doing a little play on the Pharisaic teaching. Well, let me ask you specifically about one that is very puzzling to a lot of people, and that's Matthew five seventeen, where Jesus said, do not think that I come <coughs> to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. And yet Hebrews uh, indicates that when Jesus died on the cross that uh, the old covenant was abolished and a new covenant was instituted. Well, that's a good question. Yeah, you know, uh, when you look at some of the ancient rabbinic writings, one thing that you uh, come very clear upon is that the word abolish can mean one who disobeys or does not have uh, proper respect for the authority of. Mm-hmm. Now, here's the thing. Uh, the Pharisees didn't think that Jesus was showing respect to the right. law. The Jews thought that Jesus was, in fact, disobeying the law. After all, Jesus was hanging around with sinners. Right. He was doing these miracles on the Sabbath and so forth. And so they thought that Jesus was disrespecting the law. Jesus says, I have not come to abolish the law or disrespect the law. I have come to fulfill the law. And Jesus not only fulfilled the law externally like the Pharisees did, he fulfilled it internally. You know, those Jews thought that as long as you did things externally, you were okay. Jesus said the law deals with the inner heart. Now, in terms of those verses that talk about the uh, old covenant being passed away and the new covenant coming into being, that has to do with the cross and after. Mm -hmm. The new covenant was enacted and brought into being at the death of Christ. It's based upon the blood of Jesus. So at that point, in fact, the, the law did pass away. And we have a new covenant, which is based upon the forgiveness of sins provided in the death of Jesus. Thank you. Nathan, I know you had a question uh, about angels, so why don't we move to that right now? Certainly. I was looking at your book, Angels Among Us. Uh, One of my favorite topics. What's the title of it? Angels Among Us, Separating Fact from Fiction. All right? It's a a very interesting topic. It it says it all right there. Are there angels among us? I mean, some people are really obsessed with angels, and what are they doing among us? Well, I I think that there are angels among us. I see nothing in the New Testament that indicates that angels have stopped their activity back in the first century. In fact, the book of Hebrews (coughs) says they are among us. They are among us. In fact, in Hebrews 1.14, it says that angels are ministering spirits. And ministering means a servant. They're like these spirit spirit servants that are involved in different ways. I will tell you, every time I get on an airplane... I pray, Lord, surround this thing with your angels. Amen. <laughs> hey, man after my own heart. Sometimes I think that God gets amused when I remind him that he's sovereign. You know, yeah. You're sovereign, Lord. <laughs> yes, I know, son. <laughs> Go ahead. But, I'm uh, sorry. Uh, anyway, the angels do many things. For example, did you know that at the moment that you die, there are angels there mm-hmm. who guide you into heaven? That's Luke 16. Hmm. Uh, we certainly know that the angels are involved in guarding us. For example, Psalm 91, verses 9 to 11 says that if you make the Lord your God your dwelling place, He will assign His angels to watch over you. Wow. And we see that illustrated in Second Kings 6 with uh, Elijah and his servant. They were surrounded by a hostile army moving in, and the servant was real scared. I picture him as kind of a Don Knotts type, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> his, 
his his eyes were like pancakes, you know. And so Elijah says, "Lord, open his eyes so that he can see." And then uh, the eyes were opened, and there were angels around them protecting them. Those are just a couple of the things that the angels are doing. That's another prayer. I really do. I pray when I'm leaving. I pray that the Lord will put an angel at my house to protect my wife yes. and our property while I'm gone. In fact, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely gonna, I convinced. I put a really big, ugly one there that they're scared everybody away. <laughs> well, speaking of looks, I mean, did they all have peroxide blonde curly hair and wings and white robes? And well, that's a good question. One thing that I think is real clear. Fiction, you know, right? Today, a lot of people portray very effeminate angels. Oh, yes. But every appearance that we have in the Bible is in the male form. We have Michael and Gabriel. And so I told my publisher, do not put a feminine angel <laughs> on the cover of my book. You know, so they stuck a wing on it. skipped it all together. They got a yeah. wing. That's, that's all they got, <laughs> just a wing. <laughs> well, there, now there, you haven't mentioned probably the most intriguing verse in the Bible concerning angels, and that is uh, that we should hos- show hospitality to the strangers oh, because yes, some have entertained angels unaware. That's right. You know, I think that uh, there's every possibility that once we get to heaven, uh, we're going to actually discover that some person, uh, mm-hmm. some apparent human being, mm-hmm. was actually an angel yeah. assigned by God to help us through some circumstance. And I've heard story after story along that well, line. Well, I have too. And, and I also believe that uh, even when they don't appear, that they're also working behind the scenes. And uh, we may be in heaven one day and an angel walks up to us and says, <laughs> you remember that time that rescue came yeah, out of yeah. nowhere? That was moi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, that, the, the t- subtitle of your book is Separating Fact from Fiction. Yes. What would be some of the fiction? Well, just to give you an example of the fiction, you know, Hollywood keeps telling us that when you die, you become an, you angel. Become an angel. Have you heard that one? I mean, that's just all over Hollywood. I, I would say that's the number one fiction about angels. Well, it probably Touched is. An and, uh, you know, the scriptures indicate in Colossians 1.16 that Christ was the one who created all the angels. He created the principalities and the powers and the thrones and the dominions. Those are words that were used in the first century of angels. Uh, and all throughout the Bible, we find a distinction between humans and angels. For example, Psalm 8 says that humans were created lower than the angels. But in 1 Corinthians 6, 3, it says that in the afterlife, we as human beings will rule over the angels. 1 Corinthians 13 draws a distinction between the languages of humans and angels. Revelation 5 portrays angels and redeemed humans surrounding the throne of Christ, singing praises to His name. So any way you look at it, from beginning to end, angels and humans are portrayed as distinct beings. Okay, uh, you have another book uh, that has to do with the eternal state, and that one on heaven. Uh, He's got it right here. He brought it home. There you go. Well, heaven, what do you the mean by the subtitle? Uh, the Undiscovered Country. Well, you know, uh, Shakespeare wrote a play uh, called Hamlet. And in that play, he calls death and what lies beyond death the undiscovered country. Oh, that's where you get it. That's where I got it. I thought it was a great term to refer to what many people today know very little about. Now, of course, the Bible tells us all about it. So the way I kind of spin this is that the Bible is our map, not only of the undiscovered country, but how to get there. Yes. You see, the, the Bible shows us everything that we need to know. In fact, Scripture says, uh, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what lies ahead for those who love Amen. God. One of my favorite scriptures. the Spirit scriptures. has now revealed them. That's right. You know, and so what, the Spirit wrote the Bible. Yeah. You know, the Spirit inspired the writing of Scripture. So we have what we need to know in the Bible, and that's what this book is all about. Ron Rhodes steps out of the way and lets the Word of God speak that is a book Christians really need to read because I have found that if you ask a, uh, the, just an average Christian, what is your hope? They say, well, my hope is heaven. What does that mean? And they become totally yeah, inarticulate. Yeah. Well, you know, mm-hmm. it's you're going to live forever with God. Well, what does that mean? Are you going to have a body? 
Are you going to be uh, identifiable? Are you going to be uh, on a cloud? Are you going to be playing a harp? Uh, are you going to be uh, on? Uh, are you going to uh, be on? Uh, yes. And, and the one and the one thing that shocks so many people is when I talk start talking about we're going to spend eternity on a new earth, and they say a new earth. Well, I What's thought that? I'm going to ethereal heaven. Listen, Dave. If I thought I had to spend eternity sitting on a cloud playing a harp, <laughs> oh man. I mean, gee, I get an aquarium. Well, get boring. Well, see, that's what I was taught when I was a kid. That I, I had no desire to go to heaven. Yeah, yeah, I hear you. But you know that would be torturous. Bling, <laughs> bling. I mean, it's from the know, Looney Tunes, right? Isn't that where it came I, from? I would say the number one question yeah. people ask about heaven is, will we know each other in heaven? Oh, well, very clearly, I think we will. In fact, that was the hope of the, uh, the Thessalonians in First Thessalonians 4. A lot of them had questions about whether sure. they'd see each other. And Paul assures them that gonna, there's going to be a big family reunion. And hey. you'll recognize each other. You'll spend eternity with each other. At the transfiguration, they recognized Elijah and Moses. That's right. And you know the great thing about it all is that we're going to get a body upgrade. Hey, and I'm ready. Th- that body is n- no more gray hairs. No more hairs falling out. No more cholesterol buildup. No more kidney problems. No more heart problems. It's going to be a perfect body. And the best of all, you get to still eat. <laughs> Jesus in his resurrection body ate four times. And apparently, if you eat in your resurrection body, you don't gain weight. Ah, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Amen. Oh, setting your banquet would do it. Yes. Okay, thank you. Amen and amen. One area that you've done a lot of writing on that we have not had time to get into is the area of cults. Yes. And uh, one thing that really caught my attention was this book, The Ten Most Important Things You Can Say to a Mason. Caught my attention because so many Christians are involved in masonry and they don't look up on it as a cult. They look up on it as a wonderful thing to be involved in. We only have about uh, 50 seconds for you to respond to that, but what would you say to a Mason? Well, Dave, uh, Masons do have a view of the Bible, God, Jesus, sin, and salvation. They believe the Bible is one of, of many different holy books. They believe God is the great architect of the celestial lodge above. Mm-hmm. He's not a trinity. Rather, his name is Jabulon, which is a combination of the words Jehovah and uh, Baal and Osiris. Those are pagan gods. Jesus is just a good moral teacher. In terms of sin, they don't believe in original sin. They just believe that men are imperfect. And by following the recommendations of the Lodge, you can, you know, get rid of those rough edges. And then, of course, heaven is this idea of the celestial Lodge above. It's a complete redefinition of Christianity from beginning to end. Well, it really isn't Christianity. Well, it's a, it's a false version. That's right. And, and That's they right. teach that all religions lead to God, and they say that all the different names of God in the world religions are, are really well, the same Well, I would highly God. recommend they get in t- uh, touch with you and get a copy of this book because there are many people caught up in Why don't you yes. just tell people how to get in touch with you? Well, the, the best way to get in touch with us is to go to our website, which is www.ronroads.org. And at that website, you can download all kinds of free materials, not just about the Masons, but other groups as well. Uh, You can sign up for our free newsletters. We have one that goes out on the Internet as well as one that goes out by snail mail. And uh, we uh, look forward to serving you in any capacity that we can. Well, folks, that's our program for this week. Hope you'll be back with us next week because Dr. Rhodes has very graciously agreed to come back and we're going to hit him with tough questions about Bible prophecy. Until then, this is Dave Reagan speaking for Lamb and Lion Ministries saying, look up, be watchful, for our redemption is drawing near. Popular author and Bible teacher Ron Rhodes offers straightforward, easy to understand answers to tough questions asked about God, faith, and living for Christ. In his book, What Does the Bible Say About?, Ron addresses more than 300 issues as diverse as Do Guardian Angels Exist? 
Is meditation okay for Christians? And what will heaven be like? Readers will also find information about apparent Bible contradictions, issues about science and the Bible, and the effects of humanism on society. Drawing from five years on Walter Martin's national Bible Answer Man radio broadcast, Ron Rhodes shares his accurate research and solid biblical insights. Ron Rhodes provides easy-to-understand answers to many perplexing Bible passages. His approach is biblically conservative and evangelical. Readers will find simple but not simplistic answers to Bible questions that they've wondered about. This book is available for a gift of $15 plus the cost of shipping and handling. Order by visiting lamblion.com and click on the TV Offers button. What Does the Bible Say About is cataloged as P71. Thank you for joining us on today's Christ in Prophecy, a presentation of Lamb and Lion Ministries, a non-denominational ministry dedicated to teaching the fundamentals of biblical prophecy and proclaiming the soon return of Jesus.